This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello all and welcome to episode 459 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm Osha from Botsko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's qualification in the Champions League for the round of 16 with a 3-1 win. Away to AC Milan, a comeback victory against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga and we will preview Sunday's match against league leaders Bayer Leverkusen. For all that and more, join me, Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. How are you? I'm doing very well after yesterday's results. And also here, Lars Bollmann. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm fine. Thanks. All right. I don't know where exactly to begin. I guess with the overall headline, maybe, that Dortmund are indeed qualified in Group F, which has been dubbed Group of Death. Lars, why are Dortmund survivors? Well, I suppose after five match days, we can kind of agree that Group of Death might have been a bit of a misnomer. I think we probably all overestimated Newcastle coming back into the Champions League. I think they've a, had a lot of uh, personnel issues, a lot of young players having to step in um, without the necessary experience. And obviously the club itself doesn't really have much European experience over the last few years. So I think we saw... Newcastle's intensity in the Premier League and thought if they can replicate that on the international level that would be very dangerous and I think we can safely say that at least in the Dortmund games hasn't really uh, happened that way um, obviously I couldn't watch them against PSG yesterday I haven't seen any of their other games so this is very much a Dortmund focused view but uh, I think Newcastle were a bit of a disappointment in the group stage so far, even though they they can still uh, qualify on the final match day. Uh, Milan, we talked about it briefly last week. They have a lot of personal issues as well right now. Uh, their best player, Rafael Leao, uh, missing against Dortmund on Wednesday certainly helped Dortmund. Um, and also, you know, game state. I mean, if... We'll get into this later, I suppose. But if Giroud scores the the penalty, I, I doubt uh, the game turns out as it did. And then obviously PSG, um, I think they're still finding themselves after a bit of turmoil in the summer. Not necessarily sure Luis Enrique is the, the best club head coach at this stage. I mean, he won the treble with Barcelona in, what was it, 2015? But that was... Uh, with MSN in, in attack, which makes things a bit easier. Um, and I think they haven't really fired on all cylinders. I think Paris's away form in the Champions League is abysmal over the last few years even, which is why they haven't really made those uh, deep runs as they did maybe three, four years ago when they were in the final against Bayern, for example. So ultimately, without wanting to uh, diminish what Dortmund have done. I think Group of Death might have been overstating things a bit. But obviously, uh, we can also take the positive view and say that Dortmund have put in, outside of the uh, game against uh, Paris uh, in France and parts of the Milan home game, so mostly talking about the last three games, which obviously were all wins against Newcastle and the way to Milan. Those were, by and large, mature performances. Um, ultimately uh, deserve victories even if they wrote their luck certainly uh, at Newcastle and even a bit in Milan um, as I said with game state and such but ultimately uh, ball don't lie I guess is the is the, the old saying and Dortmund have what is it 10 points after 5 match days in what may not have been ultimately the group of death but still certainly a good group with I think it's the only group with only teams from the top five leagues in Europe, so it certainly counts for something. Uh, and in that regard, I think we can certainly be happy with uh, performances and ultimately results from Dortmund. Yeah, Matthias, uh, likewise question to you before we talk about the game itself. Um, 
What does it mean for Dortmund to be already through with one match day to spare? Well, it's huge. I mean, including us and, you know, a lot of people, they were looking at this group when it came out and said, uh, you know, Dortmund third if they're lucky, you know, uh, most likely fourth. And if it wasn't for a, let's call it questionable handball penalty call in the 98th minute, I believe it was, for PSG, Dortmund would have walked into the last match day as group winners already. Um, and I think it's huge. It's a huge boost of confidence, uh, which obviously is something the team needed, even though I think they kind of got that in the previous Bundesliga match, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it, it makes people perk up again about Borussia Dortmund once again. And I, I think we can't underestimate the positive effect this also has with things like conversations about recruitment of young players, new players, things like that. Um, so all all around great, especially because, you know, Borussia Dortmund of these four is the only and be careful which words I use here. Let's say proper football club <laughs> in a way. I mean, we all know Newcastle is Saudi oil funded. Uh, PSG is Qatar funded. And Milan is, I believe, an American hedge fund funded club. And I know Dortmund is also uh, on the stock exchange in Germany, but it still ha is still a German football club with 50 plus one and all the rules that apply to that. So from that aspect as well, I think it's it's really great to see uh, a club like Dortmund, uh, you know, already qualifying and with a decent chance of winning the group. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wonder if Emre Can would have uh, collected a yellow card in the 97th or 96th minute yesterday had he known that uh, PSG would uh, get this penalty and uh, indeed Dortmund wouldn't have won the group. Uh, my presumption is yes, still. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting to see this this handball penalty, which, um, yeah, according to the rules somehow uh, is... According to the interpretation of the IFAB or whatever it is, uh, it's still according to the letter of the law, but obviously I highly disagree with it, uh, as pretty much everyone who, who sees the replay. I mean, where does the Newcastle defender, where where can he even put his hand in this uh, instance, especially since the ball came off his chest first and deflected onto his arm, which was in a very normal motion. So highly dubious penalty call in, in my book to be honest, but uh, obviously we're not here to discuss that match because Dortmund did uh, win in Milan 3-1 and uh, if you go by their previous on-the-road record in the Champions League, um, it is actually quite amazing that Dortmund won back-to-back -back road games in the UCL. So, yeah, what happened? Uh, Dortmund conceded penalty very early. Uh, <laughs> I think there were not too many... Uh, Discussions there to me that look more a stonewall penalty that pretty much else Schlotterbeck definitely was hit on the arm uh, by Shukwitz's goal and uh, uh, shot. And um, yeah, then of course uh, Kobel did make the save. And in return, a couple minutes later, it was on the other end where Bino Gittens uh, was brought down and uh, got to, uh, yeah, draw a penalty from uh, Calabria there, I think, right back. Um, which Kreuz then expertly put away. And with that, Dortmund were up one nothing. Uh, then, of course, uh, Chukwitz uh, did score the equalizer in the 37th minute by dribbling past Ben Zwaini and uh, uh, Bino Gittens himself. And I think there was a slight, uh, a slight deflection of uh, Schlotterbeck's calf to uh, yeah, score the equalizer. But in the second half, Dortmund... Uh, well-crafted goals with Bino Gittens and then Adiemi uh, in the 59th and 69th minute, which pretty much put the lid on the game. Um, Matthias, my mother-in-law, <laughs> walked into the room at some point while I was watching the game and was noticing, I think that was when Dortmund were 1-0 up, uh, how slow the game is. And I tried to explain to her that Dortmund are in no particular hurry right now and basically try to control the game as much as possible and that they do play a bit differently in the Champions League uh, than they do in the Bundesliga because uh, if 
my 80-year-old mother-in-law notices that the state of game is a little bit slower, um, then I I assume it is fair to say that indeed this is exactly what happened yesterday. I mean, the spaces there were quite open, but um, what do you make of the differences between Dortmund playing in the Champions League and playing in the Bundesliga this season? Well, I think it's down to also the pace of the opposition. I mean, we can't discount the fact that Milan play in the Serie A. Um, I'm a fan of the Serie A, but Serie A tends to be a little bit slower pace at times, a little bit more, let's call it methodical. And uh, I'll be perfectly honest, you were up 1-0 and Milan wasn't really giving you a reason to speed up the game. You know, they weren't really pressing Dortmund in any particular fashion. Um, you know, I mean, Newcastle were a little bit more aggressive in that respect. And Dortmund were playing to the opposition in this aspect. It's like, well, why, why rush things now? Especially given the the pace that Milan have in Chukwese and uh, Pulisic to open yourself up. And you know, Milan. The one thing that that really shocked me was, you know, Milan left this huge gap, in my opinion, between their attacking players and their their defense. I mean, there was at times, almost no noticeable midfield resistance for Dortmund. Um, and when there was, Dortmund, for the most part, handled it extremely well. So, no, there there was no need to rush it and to hurry it um, based on the way the, the match was going. And Dortmund are playing at a different style also because the opposition is playing differently in the Champions League. I mean, Milan, Newcastle, PSG... They want to be on the front foot. They believe they will dominate the match. They believe they are the better side. And so Dortmund's, Dortmund can play different than in the Bundesliga, where for the most part, um, they are given the possession and said, okay, here, now do something with it. And whereas with with these teams, I mean, yesterday was just weird. I'll be honest. I mean, Milan, I didn't quite understand what their game plan really was. Um, at times it just seemed a little bit disjointed and Dortmund played to that very, very professionally as well, I may add. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund, I think, could have uh, been a bit more clinical in the final third. I thought that uh, some of these counterattacks that looked like uh, they should look like uh, in the you know first preseason game of, of the summer preparation and not... Uh, you know, round five of the Champions League, there are just a lot of miscommunications, misunderstandings, double commits, etc. cetera, uh, that do grind my gears a little. But um, Lars, I would be remiss to not shift the focus a little bit on one individual performance. And uh, of course, he was also honored with the Man of the Match Award by the UEFA. Um, Mats Hummels, uh, yesterday had uh, an absolute magnificent performance. Um, is this one of his best Champions League performances or is this just a, a vintage Hummels performance that uh, he often shows but we don't get to appreciate as often? Or don't appreciate as often, let's put it this way. I mean, it, it can be both, I suppose. Um, I'm struggling to remember a better performance for many centre-half, uh, if I'm being honest, in the Champions League. I mean, I'm sure... Someone will point out a vast number of examples. One one uh, could argue here, but to me, this is kind of the perfect Hummels game. Maybe also because it was a bit slower. Obviously, not a lot of runs uh, in behind to be expected from Olivier Giroud, um, who's more of a fox-in-the-box kind of uh, striker at, at this age, obviously. Um, so, you know, Hummels able to read the game, um, time his challenges perfectly. I mean... I think the the one blemish that some people have pointed out was the um, counter-attack where he didn't get the ball fully against, uh, was it Loftus-Cheek, uh, possibly? Mm-hmm. Um, and when then uh, Ben Sabaini and uh, Riasson had to uh, mop up, uh, as it were. But even then, Hummels got enough of the ball to disrupt the timing of that counter-attack, allowing uh, his teammates to get into position to... Uh, affect the outcome of that sequence. So uh, even even if you want to hold that against him, he still did well enough in, in in that regard. So I think this was an absolutely imperious performance. 
basically the almost perfect game for the kind of center half that Hummels is. I think him personally, he probably would have liked to sprinkle in a couple of outside of the boot passes uh, towards Marlen or Bino Gittens or later on Adeyemi or Brandt or whomever, but uh, I, I I don't want to get too nitpicky for me. This was the, the rare 10 out of 10 performance and I, I tweeted or posted on X, if we have to call it that these days. Today, one of the more funny things I read in a, in a while, uh, La Gazzetta dello Sport, the uh, Milan-based paper, uh, giving Hummels a 6.5 in their rating system out of 10. What? Yeah, putting him behind, uh, for example, uh, Bino Gittens, which I, I, that's the only argument you can make because uh, Bino Gittens obviously impacted the game going forward, which is always something that uh, ratings will reflect a bit more perhaps. Uh, but he was also behind, uh, for example, Reus and Zabitza had the same grade as Emre Can, Julian Riasson, uh, and Fikayo Tomori and uh, Malik Chow from Milan. So... If, right. if anyone wants to tell me that basically all centre-backs in this game were at the same level, then I would like to have their credentials checked, please. <laughs> yeah, whoever uh, made these ratings probably just made it in, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, there's no... Especially if it's an Italian journalist, you would think just from your prejudice, I guess, uh, that uh, this person would be able to... Uh, appreciate a performance like Hummels is even more so than, let's say, the average German reporter. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, e either way, um, it is it is quite e egregious. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, 10 tackles, uh, 68 touches, 47 out of 50 completed passes. Um, a lot of, uh, I, I think, 40 carries, uh, two out of two successful tags on uh, for Hummels. I don't know. To me, it was just a, a masterclass and uh, made me already like miss him, even though he's still there. If that makes sense, uh, just because how how great this performance was. Um, Matthias, if you want to chime in, uh, to me, it, it it was really one that is very memorable uh, of other Champions League performances. There was one against Arsenal. I I definitely also remember where he was just masterful. Um, but yeah, yesterday, perfect game for Formals to show his skill set. Well, it was perfect. And, and to do it in Italy, the land of the defender, um, uh, the land of the elegant defender, especially in Milan, if you think of Baresi and Maldini, um, it it worked. It was nice. It was poetic. And, and doing it to Milan makes me especially happy. Um, and I'm sure Lars agrees there as well. The interesting thing was, of course, in the English feed, we had Ray Hudson, who who likes to speak a lot and use very colorful language. But again and again, whenever Hummels took the ball off a Milan player, he just you could just sense he went, oh, oh, every time. I mean, he was he was impressed. And that's when, you know, you're looking at an exceptional performance and it was his vintage best Mats Hummels, especially not just his defending, but also his passing was fantastic. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't think of a better performance by Mats Hummels in the champions league for Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure who was going to be in the starting lineup, uh, in the, defense to begin with because I wasn't quite sure what the status of uh, Schlotterbeck was going to be. Um, but when we talk about the lineup, I personally was uh, fairly happy to see Bino Gittens uh, back in there. Um, Matthias, he did reward Dortmund uh, with uh, the penalty and of course the goal, a head goal, but uh, you know his defensive prowess is <laughs> um, maybe nothing to rave about, um, but nevertheless um, what do you make of his performance from the young Englishman considering it was his first start in the Champions League? Well, I mean, he's not paid to defend. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, if he's one guy where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not worried about defensive, uh, you know, work effort, it's probably him. Uh, his At least his body language and his hustle is there. Like, he runs back and he tries, which from a player like him, uh, for his skill set, what he's paid to do, and his age, honestly, half the time, that's all I want. I, w I want you to at least try. 
uh, because there are plenty of other players we could think back to his same age category that really didn't. Um, and his countryman, Jaden Sancho, at that age was not as interested in a defensive hustle as uh, Jamie Bino Gittens. And of course, there are a lot of comparisons to Jaden Sancho. Uh, at the same time and age, given that they both came from England, they both came through Manchester City at some point. Um, and, you know, Jaden Sancho at the same time also did a lot of what Bino Gittens does in the term of taking a man on again and again and again and again. And then later as he got older, he kind of added more to his repertoire other than just that, uh, which right now is, you know, nine out of 10 times. That's what Jamie Bino Gittens does. And he does it of those 10 times that he then does it, you know, uh, two, three times he gets through and, uh, create something fantastic. And I I was really impressed. Uh, it was a form pick because he played well against Gladbach and Tezic went, well, put him right back in and he did not disappoint. And I, I like, at, you know, making those form picks because when you're in a run and you build up momentum and build up that confidence, the worst thing you can do then is just up, oh, sit it out for you know, a match, which ends up being a week or two. And then you got to, you know, build that back up. So I think uh, all in all, extremely good. All right. Last final thoughts on the, on the Milan game and maybe a, a little projection to the PSG game. Is that now a complete dead rubber? Uh, no, I mean, uh, PSG can't uh, expect to advance uh, if they don't win at Dortmund uh, because Newcastle have, won the head-to-head uh, -head. and uh, if PSG lose at Dortmund, even Milan can still um, advance to the knockout stages. So um, I think Paris have a lot of uh, a lot to play for and uh, I think if you're Dortmund, you are definitely looking at at least who's uh, likely to be uh, finishing their groups first. Uh, if you can avoid the likes of, let's say, Real Madrid, uh, Man City in the Round of 16, that's not the worst idea. Uh, obviously, sometimes you can also get unlucky with your draws as the second seed, but uh, it's also kind of a point of pride, I suppose, especially when you finish the group at home. You want to do well, go out with a win, and, and you should never forget that in the Champions League, a lot of things are also about money, and uh, you know the, the price pot gets a lot bigger when you win games. Uh, so there's still a bit to play for. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a, a small-sized uh, contribution to resting some players. I mean, Andrew John took himself out of the game, as you alluded to earlier. And obviously that, that game comes in two weeks. So uh, in the thick of this uh, brutal run-in that Dortmund have to the winter break, so wouldn't be... Uh, particularly surprising if there were a couple of changes from the starting 11, but um, it's not going to be uh, the the same way as as it was against Copenhagen last year. I looked it up yesterday. Uh, we had uh, fullbacks starting uh, Torgan Azar and Felix Paslak uh, and in, <laughs> in, in attack Anthony Modest and uh, at the quite a... Uh, eclectic uh, selection as it were, so I'm not expecting that. Also because ultimately there's a responsibility to the other teams in the group. So, uh, you know, Dortmund don't want to be looked at uh, with uh, raised eyebrows from either Milan or Newcastle. Obviously, that's not the, the most important point. But I think there's a uh, amalgamation of reasons why Dortmund take this game seriously, not least of which you want to finish the group first because that's something to play for. Yeah, final thoughts on the Milan game? If you have um, maybe going back to Bino Gittens, I was disappointed in Terzic not giving Bino Gittens and Reyna more minutes after the, and even Mokoko to an extent, after the, the cup game. Mm -hmm. um, especially Reyna, uh, Reyna not getting any minutes against Bayern. I don't quite remember how much he played against Stuttgart, if, if at all, so... If we are praising Terzic now for picking uh, Bino Gittens against Milan on form, then perhaps we need also to look at why that wasn't the case before the international break. 
Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if uh, Reynolds started against Stuttgart or not. No, he didn't start. I, I'm questioning whether he played at all. He um, definitely, definitely didn't play against Bayern, which came immediately after the uh, the cup game. If yeah, Reyna came in in the 63rd minute against Stuttgart. I just yeah. Better than nothing, but still, I mean, yeah, these these kinds of positive players that like to take opponents on, I think Dortmund have too too few of them on the pitch most of the time because uh, they have uh, you know somewhat of a congestion in in more central players that aren't dribblers. So you know the likes of Reus and and Brandt, Sabitzer, uh, Metzger when he's uh, fit and available. Um, sometimes it feels like Terzic is too desperate to get too many of those guys on the pitch together. Oftentimes putting or uh, Brandt on the wing, which always feels a bit wasteful, um, especially yeah. when you when you see Brandt against uh, Gladbach moving to the center and and running the show from there. So I just wish sometimes there were a bit or there 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 was a bit more positivity on the pitch, and that's something you get from these youngsters who don't really. Uh, have any fear, you know, of uh, Bino Gittens is the best example. I mean, as Matthias said, his his percentage of one-on-ones that come off is definitely not up to par yet. And and that can be an issue when you lose the ball too often and, and Dortmund's rest defense is sometimes questionable. But ultimately, if, if two of those dribbles end up in a goal-scoring opportunity, then that's the job done and something that we need to uh, the foster and, and, and nurture and not, uh, you know, suppress. Yeah, in, in that regard, also shout out to Adeyemi, I guess, because yesterday uh, after his substitution was the first time he looked halfway decent in, in quite a while, I would actually say, um, even though I'm not the best judge for that because I haven't seen every minute of Dortmund this season, unfortunately, as I usually do, um, because um, he did fairly well. Obviously, he did score a goal where I really liked how he uh, moved the ball over for himself to the middle of the goal and then just had a shot. Obviously, um, it, it was a poor save. Uh, it wasn't like the best placed shot, but uh, for that full hook chance that hit the crossbar um, at the end of the game, um, he also just uh, dusted uh, his opponents quite uh, nicely. And this is the sort of stuff you want to see from Adeyemi more consistently and uh, creates, of course, a lot of havoc. And uh, yeah, I personally think that Dortmund have a lot of um, weapons at their disposal uh, when it comes to attack. I can't wait for Durenville to come back and maybe how it would look like if you have a, a wing setup of Bino Gittens and Durenville or not on both sides. And then, I don't know, maybe even Giorena in, in the middle of that uh, to go with the complete young options just to just to see how it looks like, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and then even if you want to put Mokoko up top <laughs> and see how that looks like. Uh, but uh, that being said, um, I was quite happy with the Fulkrug performance yesterday as well. Um, thought he did uh, fairly well in a hold-up play. Also was involved, of course, in the 2-1 um, that Dortmund scored um, because that was a nice sequence of touches between uh, him and Zabitzer and uh, Bino Gittens, of course, who um, yeah had a very precise effort. I'm not quite sure if there was a deflection on it um, or not. Um, but that all being said, Matthias, I thought it was nice because at the last show we were talking about how Dortmund can have a nice performance and then turn around and can't uh, bottle that up. Now, obviously, uh, the game against Gladbach didn't start out <laughs> so great for the Black and Yellows because they found themselves 2-0 down after 29 minutes, um, but obviously even took the lead before halftime and then at the very end we got the vintage Rosicki goal by Dorian Malen who... Uh, did manage to celebrate before tapping it away into the open net. Um, but uh, like I just said, I don't get to watch Dortmund as frequently as I prefer. So, Matthias, you have to talk me a little bit through that game. Uh, why were Dortmund sucky at the beginning and why and how did they turn it around uh, before halftime? Well, um, they decided to play over 200 minutes of some of the most dog shit Bundesliga football I've seen Dortmund play. Uh, if you count Bayern, the even worse Stuttgart match, and then the first, yeah, honestly, it was like 30 minutes against Gladbach or 28, 29 and a half minutes. Um, 
And then they decided, oh, you know, we're Dolmo. We should probably play good football at some point. That and... feels like a very simplified explanation, but okay. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I for me it was funny because after the second goal from Gladbach, I was writing a very ranty tweet. And in the time you, it took Matthias. me to... No, in, in time of writing that tweet, Dortmund scored two goals. And I did not post said tweet. <laughs> um, and it it was, you know, I don't know what changed in their mindset because the first 30 minutes or first 25 at least, uh, Dortmund were, they just weren't there. They were, it was like against Stuttgart. They were slow. They were, they lacked focus. Their passing was all over their place. Positioning wasn't there defensively. I, I don't even know what was happening. Uh, it was just complete chaos and disorganization. And um, and then the Zabitza goal, and, and I kind of equate that a little bit to, you know, Kobe saving the goal, uh, saving the penalty against Milan. It was like that was the the impetus to pull your shit together and and actually play. And they tightened things up. Their pressing was better. Uh, they actually pressed as a team. Um, their ball retention was better. Their passing was better. And they moved with pace. And that was the one thing that was lacking before was there was no sense of urgency. There was no pace in their play, whether in, you know, their running or their passing. And Gladbach, at that point, they just pulled Gladbach apart relatively, I'm not going to say easily, but... Uh, in a manner in which we all want Dortmund to play. And it was some of the best Bundesliga minutes. And those 30 minutes, they played extraordinarily well. Um, I don't honestly know why it had to start the way it did. That's a question you have to ask them. Because you would think after laying an egg against Bayern and then playing as absolutely atrociously as they did against Stuttgart, that these professionals would not need to be down 2-0 to Gladbach until they finally find some focus. Um, and I don't know if that would have happened without the Zabitza goal, and that was kind of that, you know, wake-up call for them. But uh, the, there's a head case there that I can't put my finger on. Lars, do you have a better explanation than Matthias? <laughs> no, and I don't think they have one either. Um I mean, I think the Terzic Out Brigade uh, had um, already convened for their weekly meeting, uh, as uh, Matthias alluded to with his rant, uh, which was rudely abrupted uh, by Dortmund scoring two goals. I think I was also on my phone at the time, but just because I I was uh, kind of incredulous at what I was seeing and, and sometimes uh, scrolling uh, some apps calms me down. Um, I mean, it wasn't just being down 2-0 against a rather pedestrian side, especially away from home like Gladbach, but also obviously the performance itself. Um, if if we're talking about wake-up calls, then after the first goal, the disallowed second goal should have been a wake-up call already, not just the second goal. And ultimately, I think this game once again proves that either... Uh, momentum in football is very important because it shifted so much that uh, with the uh, with that uh, Royce's winning of the ball against was it Manu Kone um, immediately basically after Gladbach scored their second and were attacking again um, on the counter then Dortmund scored through Zabitza either that meant that Dortmund now had all the momentum or if you don't believe in momentum you you think why would Gladbach lose uh, after going up by two goals if if they had all the momentum so. I think this is one of those weird Bundesliga games that Dortmund have far too many of every season that we try to analyze and probably overanalyze because there isn't much to analyze. It's just in the nature of this club apparently to uh, flabbergast or leave us flabbergasted sometimes and, and we are sitting here and spending too much time thinking about it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, I also can't make sense of why the second half was the way it was because uh, obviously uh, 
there weren't many goals scored and I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't even half as chaotic as the first half. Uh, Gladbach had two shots, um, one by a player in the 64th and one by Kone in the 82nd. But uh, if I remember correctly, neither of those were really, uh, you know, great chances. I feel like Dortmund... Uh, had a couple uh more chances in the second half. I think uh Bino Gittens had a couple like around the I don't know fifty fourth minute or so. Um, and I think Giorena had had a pretty good chance right after the break, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, Matthias, uh, I personally don't have too many more questions about this game, honestly, because uh, it's a win. Uh. That's great. Uh, Gladbach is a team that Dortmund should dispatch and have dispatched quite frequently uh, as of late. And uh, yeah, having this Daniel Mayer goal to me uh, was nice. Certainly a bit of an iconic goal. I don't know if it's quite as iconic as the Rosicki goal. I feel like he should have celebrated a little bit more. Um, but uh, I love that someone uh, tweeted or posted on X <laughs> um, that... Uh, in that situation, it's either defined whether you're Rosicki or Blaszczykowski. <laughs> Neither options are bad, <laughs> but uh, yeah, still very funny. Um, so, Matthias, if if you have any thoughts on that, Malengor, uh, go ahead. If not, uh, we can move over to the next game against Leverkusen. Well, I was just happy that he was the one who essentially started the move, uh, winning the ball and then going. And uh, once he got to a certain point, I was already like, it's a goal because no one's going to catch him. He's just too dang fast. And uh, I was just I was just happy it wasn't Matsumis at that point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He would have been caught up by other players. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, I feel like Tony Martin is still a little bit on the struggle bus. Uh, that being said, uh, obviously, scoring this open netter is nice. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like against Milan, he also had a couple of opportunities where he could have done better, uh, taken a few better decisions, etc., etc. Now, obviously, uh, Gladbach and Milan um, are teams that Dortmund uh, definitely can beat uh, because they are mediocre, I would say. However, uh, looking ahead to Sunday's game against Leverkusen, um, I'm not very confident in Dortmund's abilities because Leverkusen right now play some of the best football in the Bundesliga and of course uh, uh, have shown Dortmund in many ways uh, how they probably should have done their transfer business in the summer, etc. So Lars, uh, oftentimes Dortmund versus Leverkusen are very chaotic games, a lot of counterattacks, etc, etc. What can Dortmund fans expect from this? and? Uh, yeah, what what are your per personal expectations going into the match? I think away from home, away to Leverkusen. I mean, if the last two meetings are anything to go by, it's going to be a pretty drab affair. I think if memory serves, Dortmund won both games last season. Uh, I think it was a 1-0 and then a 2-0 and, and after the World Cup break, uh, the second of which Adiemi scored his first Bundesliga goal in and uh, that that wasn't particularly exciting. I think in the first meeting, uh, Gregor Kobel made a number of important saves, as he tends to do. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, Leverkusen are quite a different team nowadays, uh, as you alluded to. Fantastic transfer business in the summer, completely transforming uh, what was a good side last season, especially once Xabi Alonso... Uh, got them going, you know, after the World Cup break and whatever, um, with, you know, obviously Florian Wirtz coming back into full form, a uh, few more months removed from his uh, torn ACL. Um, yeah, I, I think Leverkusen quite possibly the best side in Europe at this point, which, you know, sounds weird because it's Leverkusen and the Bundesliga, but um, I think they've won... 16 out of 17 competitive matches this season uh, and the 17th was a two-all draw away to Bayern which isn't too shabby either. Now it, it wasn't necessarily a murderous row of opponents for Leverkusen because they haven't played Dortmund, they haven't uh, played Stuttgart as far as I remember and they're only in the Europa League so they are playing I think 
BK Hacken from Sweden on Thursday. Um, so it's it's not like they've had uh, you know a Premier League type of schedule at this point, but they have beaten Leipzig, albeit with a bit of luck on the first match day. Uh, they came away from Munich with uh, their two-all draw and they're obviously in this incredible run of form where a lot of things seem to go uh, automatically. Uh, I think we know as uh, Dortmund pundits how that can look from you know the, the second half of last season. Sometimes you get on this kind of roll and, and things just look very easy and Leverkusen is the kind of side that has that moment right now with... Uh, I think Alejandro Grimaldo, the left back, has has seven league goals already in in late yeah, November, first. which uh, is is yeah tied first uh, at Leverkusen with Boniface. You mean, mm -hmm. uh, which you know that's that's kind of ridiculous. He takes incredible free kicks. He's he's basically a right now a better version of uh, Rafael Guerrero at Dortmund because he's much more dynamic and as such also a better defender. Um, Frimpong, the the other uh, fullback, is incredible. Boniface had slowed down a bit, but he's still dangerous. Florian Wirtz is an incredible player. Uh, Granitschaka bossing things in midfield. Uh, Palacios, uh, a world champion, and you can see it. He's really uh, come on over the last few months at Leverkusen. So ultimately, if if you transported Leverkusen's team uh, to Bayern and, and said this was Bayern's first team, nobody would say that's looking like a weak Bayern side. That's looking pretty decent. And people would say that especially on this kind of form they are showing so far this season, this is a team you have to take a, a deep, long look at uh, in terms of maybe winning the Champions League. So I think this isn't uh, the Leverkusen of old and we need to take them very seriously. Yeah, uh, I certainly am. Uh, Matthias, uh, similar question to you, uh, but but a little bit tweaked. How do, how do you think that Dortmund can go against this team and uh, what do Dortmund need to do um, to, to stop Leverkusen because uh, usually the question is uh, what do Leverkusen have to do to stop Dortmund with uh, you know their obvious weaknesses in, in Tar and uh, uh, Radecki but even even uh, Radetzky is having a good season uh, and, and so is Tar so um, yeah what, what do Dortmund have to do um, to get away with the result away from Leverkusen, which might be a draw and might still be a good result. I guess it comes down to how you want to set up defensively. I mean, what Dortmund cannot do is have that same naive build-up play, sloppiness that they showed against Stuttgart, and that lack of pace in their decision-making, in their passing, because otherwise it's just going to be just like the Stuttgart match, except that uh, Leverkusen will then be up by four goals by the halftime. Um, so in in that respect, I, I mean, I'm very concerned because uh, we've seen this play out before. Great midweek match and then lay, I would say, more than an egg in the league uh, well, the following Well, you said weekend. we came down to tiredness. Do you think if yes. Dortmund played Tuesday and then we'll play Leverkusen on Sunday? I don't yeah, think they will exert true. themselves too much against Hacken, however. Yeah. I think from a Dortmund perspective, just having these extra days of recovery, do you think that's a a big boost or just a, a tiny factor? I think it'll be a small factor. Uh, the The good thing is, uh, against Milan, it wasn't as physically demanding as the matches against Newcastle or the cup tie against Hoffenheim. Um, those were the really good midweek matches after which Dortmund did not perform up to their standards in the league the following weekend. So against Milan, they were, uh, it was, it was because we talked about before the pace of the match was much lower. And so you did have a few people that uh, could, could rest a little bit. Schlotterbeck coming out, um, Royce then coming out when he did, I don't have any, updates as far as what's up with them i i hope to see Gio Reyna, uh julian brandt really not having to play much against milan i think is a big benefit because then he will be fully rested for the match as far as how you know your back line is benzabaini needs to become a little calmer <laughs> uh otherwise 
Yeah, I mean, my concern is just that, you know, Xabi Alonso is an intelligent man and he will look at Ben Zabaini and attack that side specifically. Uh, as, as other as a coaches weak area. recently, of I course. feel like. Of course, because you've got Ben Sabaini. Look at it this way. On the left side, you have Ben Sabaini and Schlotterbeck. When they are playing well, they are fantastic. When they're having an off day, they're a huge weakness. On the right-hand side, then you have Riasson, who is a good fullback. And then you have Mats Hummels, who's having a fantastic season. So which side are you going to go after? Obviously, you could go for pace and attack the right side of Dortmund's defense, or you can attack the players that are known to be a little bit more erratic, uh, especially if then you have Emre Can sliding in there as well, and you just kind of pull people over to that left side. Uh, Jamie Bino say plays on that left side as well. He's not exactly a stellar defender. To me, that's your weakest side. That's the side you would attack, um, unless, of course, they add some more coverage and put make sure Marco Royce is fit. Uh, I think Julian Brandt has played well also with his pressing uh, and defensive work rate. Mayen has improved there as well. So you do need a little bit more of a defensively stout side that is less prone to make boneheaded mistakes. Um, and I think it'll come down to who's fit because, you know, uh, Schlotterbeck, I think, was suffering also from a cold. So it's it'll just, just come to, down to those things. You have to be top of your game and not open up the gaps in midfield and make sure you're not losing the ball in transition in midfield like Dortmund did again and again against Stuttgart and also showed that weakness against Bayern. If they if they can tighten that up, I'm hopeful for a draw. If they don't, I expect Leverkusen to have a very good match against Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, I think one of the biggest strengths of this Leverkusen team is actually their positional play and how they manage to move the ball and get their players open versus other teams. And yeah, for Dortmund, uh, it has been a struggle recently. So I expect Leverkusen to really carve Dortmund open. And we have uh, talked about it before, be it in the Frankfurt game, be it in the Stuttgart game, obviously to some extent also the Bayern game, I presume, even though I haven't watched it is that uh, Dortmund are very vulnerable vulnerable on the counter-attack and uh, Leverkusen do have lots of pace and lots of players that can hurt you. I mean, just talk about Wirtz in midfield, but uh, even if uh, Jonas Hofmann plays, I think he uh, you know, has the wherewithal to play through ball, etc., etc. And uh, yeah, when we talk about Frimpong, I feel like he's probably going to be um, the biggest difference makers because he will be attacking down Dortmund's right side and um, how easily you can break them down uh, has been evident uh, plenty enough in, in recent weeks. So um, I am not really optimistic uh, about this game whatsoever because right now I feel like Dortmund and Leverkusen are just worlds apart uh, from a tactical standpoint where Leverkusen will know exactly where to target Dortmund's weaknesses and um, I'm not sure Dortmund uh, will find ways to hurt Leverkusen as much in in uh, the same way. Lars, if you if you have any disagreements, if you think that Leverkusen have certain weaknesses where Dortmund can easily attack and maybe uh, I don't want to say create an upset, but uh, you know I don't know win the game. Um, educate me, I guess. I mean, I'm struggling to find any uh, foothold. For, for anyone who wants to climb uh, the Leverkusen ladder these days. Uh, I Quite honestly, I would be surprised if Dortmund came away with anything but a fairly resounding defeat there. Um, not even because I think Dortmund are so poor at this point, but because Leverkusen are genuinely an incredible team at, at this point of the season. I think uh, maybe the you know, the the law of the series, as some would say in German, das Gesetz der Serie, means that Leverkusen have to lose at some point and might <laughs> as well get, be against Dortmund. Um, yeah, but if, if, if you came at this game as a completely neutral person, I think you would struggle to find any sort of actual reason why Dortmund would uh, win this game or even come away with a point because... Leverkusen genuinely incredible. Dortmund 
Uh, Dortmund's form against good teams uh, in the Bundesliga this season hasn't been on point. I mean, they've only played a couple. Uh, obviously, Bayern uh, also Stuttgart. Maybe we can put uh, Frankfurt in that conversation. Uh, maybe even Hoffenheim. Uh, not many of those games in the Bundesliga were particularly good from Dortmund against good sides. And, and Leverkusen, uh, discounting the, the fear factor that Dortmund seemed to have for Bayern, I think Leverkusen is the best team Dortmund will have faced this first half of the season when it ends in, in a month. And for, from, from that perspective, it's, it's quite hard to see why Dortmund wouldn't come away with a defeat. Yeah, yeah, I'm really not optimistic about the next two games because someone, of course, do play then in Stuttgart uh, in the in the cup and uh, going by how the first game went. I personally am very intrigued by the adjustments that Dortmund will make um, and whether uh, they will have any um, immediate takeaways from those two games, uh, then Leverkusen and the previous Stuttgart game, to apply to that Stuttgart game, um, but. My assumption is that uh, if this Leverkusen game has any positive effect for Dortmund, then, like I said on the last show, maybe just in the long term and uh, making it a bit more obvious to Dortmund's front offices where their weaknesses are and, uh, you know, attacking those. But obviously, you need to then also make the right conclusions from something like that. Um, if it if if it occurs, because we all know football is a funny old game, Leverkusen might have a bad day. And Dortmund might have a smash and grab because uh, Dortmund almost uh, pulled something similar off away in Stuttgart where they uh, almost had a halftime lead, uh, <laughs> which uh, was going to be very ri ridiculous. But we have seen these things happen. Um, but personally, um, you know, if I were a betting man, I would not put my money on it. Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe we're talking Dortmund down a little too much and, and uh, get shown up for it. But uh my assumption is that uh, we won't be and it's going to be an ugly game to watch and I'm already looking forward to the next game and hopefully that uh, Dortmund can make amends. Away to Stuttgart, we shall see. Um, either way, I think this is a good way uh, to end this episode. Uh, Matthias, Lars, thank you both for coming on this week again and we shall be back next week after the Stuttgart game to discuss those two matches. And until then... Have a great time, and as always, thank you for listening. Goodbye.